You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders from all over the world about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I'm extremely excited because my guest is Dr. Kelly Waltman. Dr. Kelly Waltman is the founder and CEO of SLR Leadership Consulting. She's a number one international bestselling author and a keynote speaker. With over 20 years of experience developing and delivering curricula, Kelly has a passion for helping individuals learn and grow. By helping take the fear out of feedback and sharing the tools to have better and braver conversations, she helps leaders and teams cultivate a positive workplace culture that is engaging, inspiring, and more productive than they ever thought possible. Kelly, welcome. It is just such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and, and to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, speaking of conversations, I love in your intro, you talked about taking the fear and having the tough conversations because, boy, leadership has to have those tough conversations. I was having a discussion with a friend this week that was like, oh, no. And I'm like, leadership isn't about getting the job done. Leadership is about dealing with the people. And all of a sudden, this light went off and she was like, oh, no. And I'm like, yeah, that's why it's so tough. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, the title of of your dad's book, The Price of Leadership, is that I think people think, oh, I want to be a leader. That sounds so romantic. Like we romanticize this idea of leadership and, you know, so it's all, you know, glorified. And, and of course, there's a lot of really rewarding things about leadership, but it is hard. It is hard work, you know, on a lot of levels. I mean, we're dealing with people, you know, so um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no so, job. Yeah, we can figure out anything, but it's the people equation. It's like, wow, yes. wow. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah, and, and you're right. A huge part of that is those conversations for sure. I mean, being able to to have those tough conversations is really at the, I think, the crux of leadership. And so yeah, I, I appreciate that you say that. You hit the nail on the head. So I want to talk about, again, you you alluded to my father's Price of Leadership speech. And Mm -hmm. for those of you listening, we always have a link down there where you can pick this up. But in it, this is the number one speech that he gave. And he talked about if you're going to be a leader, a true leader, not a lino, a leader in name only, there's a price you're going to have to pay. And Kelly, you hit on some of these things because it is draining and it's depleting and it's scary and it's lonely. And let's unpack that. And the first price he talked about was loneliness. We've all heard this saying, It's lonely at the top, especially when you have to have these conversations. So Kelly, can you unpack that? You have an extensive leadership background. What does loneliness mean for you as a leader? And can you share maybe a time you went through loneliness? Sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so fascinating thinking about loneliness and leadership it's depending where you are in your leadership journey, what that looks like. Like, I think loneliness is a part of that, no matter where you are, if you're just starting out, if you're middle management, if you're, you know, C-suite executive, the, the owner, that how loneliness is going to manifest and present itself is going to be nuanced. It'll always be there, but it'll be nuanced based upon where you are in that, in that journey and, and, and the reality. And, and I think I've had the experience of feeling all of those, you know, I've been that, that new supervisor, you know, early on and you feel lonely because you're trying to figure it all out. I've been the, the middle manager, which I think can be particularly lonely because you don't, you often don't have this peer equal. And so you're stuck in this 
kind of this limbo of you're now a leader, you're responsible for leading people, but you're also still reporting to people and you're stuck in this middle space and not having that peer equal. It's very lonely because you're not on the same level as the people you used to supervise. And you're not really at the level of those C-suite executives. And now, you know, running a company, I feel that that new space of, of loneliness of leadership. And, you know, I think what's interesting about this is while our own individual unique experiences are obviously unique, the journey is not as lonesome as sometimes I think we think it is. Like there are people who have <laughs> experienced very similar experiences. And when you talk to people, it's like the way maybe that that showed up in their lives and presented itself is slightly different, but they had that hard lesson too, or they had that experience or they felt that loneliness. And, and so I think particularly if you are in a space where you don't have a peer equal, whether that's you're the business owner or the executive, and you maybe don't have a peer equal or you're in that other middle management category, again, you can find a peer equal outside of your organization. If you can find a mentor, a coach, like somebody that can be that, that person, that sounding board for you, and particularly somebody who's been there before. Like I said, our, the journey's not as lonesome and as unique as we think. And so if you can find somebody that's gone through that, I think that can be really valuable because there's, what do they say, like misery loves company, <laughs> which sounds terrible. <laughs> But it's, you know, normalizing that. And that's the thing that I love about the price of leadership is that it normalizes these experiences and these feelings because we, again, it feels lonely. So we feel like we're the only ones like I must be doing something wrong or I, you know, why am I feeling this way? So, so normalizing that, that sense is huge. I love it. And I love that you said that you identify different levels of loneliness. Loneliness is a fact of life. I mean, we're all, we're, even if you're surrounded by family and friends and at the peak, it's just, we're all still human beings. So I love that. And I do, I love that my dad let, let people know, Hey, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. There's a season, there's a season for all this in us. And he would always say there's a pendulum and you're going to go through this. Now, when did it dawn on you or what would you recommend to the leaders about reaching out and finding that some people call it a mastermind group or just uh, where would you recommend they go for that? Or when did it dawn on you? And when did you latch onto somebody and realize, Hey, the load uh, is much easier when shared. Yeah, I think that that light bulb moment happened for me a handful of years ago. I was working as the director for Research Center, and I was responsible for the supervising and managing the bulk of that organization's personnel. We had two separate offices. One, the, the headquarters office was uh, about 45 minutes away, and there was a much smaller staff there. I was technically third in line, if you want to think about the traditional organizational chart. You know, I was third, third in command, so to speak, and then responsible for really supervising the bulk of the, the organization's staff. And I did feel very lonely. I felt lonely because I was literally separated from the main office or you know, headquarters office. So literally separated from there. I didn't feel a very strong connection with the leadership there. It wasn't the the healthiest of relationships. And so it was a difficult dynamic. I mean, I had individuals that I supervised that I, I felt like I had a very good relationship with. But again, you're the boss, you're the leader. So it's you're it's not the same dynamic right. as, as a peer, obviously. And so feeling like I wasn't getting the mentorship from my leadership that I was really needing and craving being the the leader of this this group I felt yeah lonely I felt kind of 
I don't know, just not sure where to go because I had supervised teams about that size before, but this was very different. You know, I was supervising people in IT. I don't know anything about IT. I was supervising people in all these different facets. And so just trying to figure it out and find my way. And that was when it really dawned on me that I'm not going to find the support I need in this little bubble. And I'm recognizing that I need that that support. If I'm going to continue to grow, if I'm going to grow as a leader, feel like I can get support to, to talk through scenarios, obviously maintaining confidentiality. But you know that was really when it dawned on me that I, I recognized I needed it. I wasn't going to get it in my bubble and I was feeling lonely. And so I looked for, I did look informally for peers that I knew that I respected their work and appreciated that. I also looked for, for mentors And I started looking for other networking groups. That was the other big thing. That was when I really started that journey of looking to network with other people who were both at my level and who were at a level that I aspired to reach, both in in life and in business and leadership. And so, yeah, I think often when we reach that point that we just (laughs) feel at a crossroads, you know, I don't want to use the word desperate because that's a little dramatic, but... Yeah, that's really when it, it dawned on on me that I needed to to find that support and I wasn't going to find it internally for a, a variety of reasons. Well, you may say desperate. Well, you feel kind of isolated and depleted. Yeah. Like yeah. I've come to the end and that's okay, leaders, because leadership is not meant to be done alone. Leadership, right. it's the ship of other things. And, and I love that you hit on, you know, there are tons of formal groups that you can pay and join that are very structured and, mm-hmm. and go from all different prices. But there are also groups that you can informally network on. I mean, you get on LinkedIn and there's so many different groups that you can be a part of if you are if you just want to dip your toe in it. But Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich was very adamant. One of the 13 principles was the mastermind group. Yep. And uh, Ken Blanchard, one of my heroes and friends, said it. None of us is as smart as all of us. So get other people because as leaders, it's lonely and we don't see our own biases, assumptions and blind spots. And as yep. you said... It may not be as lonely as it is. We may have built up this thing that, oh, it's just us. And it's easy, especially when you feel like you're not gelling with the people above and you're Mm -hmm. in this weird hybrid space of, I'm not one of the boys anymore or girls, but I'm this weird, you know, I'm a manager. (laughs) And how am I supposed to walk in this space? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So thank you for unpacking that loneliness. And that is great insights for people. If you are feeling lonely, trust that leaders, that is your insight that it's time to connect because we're not going to do this alone. And and none of us, I I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Jesus didn't do it alone. And if he didn't do it alone, I don't think right. (laughs) The president, nobody does it alone. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Well, next, and kind of into that, you talked about this. My dad also talked about weariness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leadership is tough and dealing with people problems at all hours of the night. You're not an hourly person. You're a, you're a, you're an FTE, which means you're like a heart surgeon. You can get called at any time of the night to come and do all kinds of things. How do you though combat weariness? Because you've got to stay replenished and yeah. uh, we, we get depleted easily. So mm-hmm. what does weariness mean to you? And, and maybe you can uh, share with us the time, you know, like you said, you realized, Hey, I'm alone. I need something. Can you talk to us about when you were in a season of weariness and how you got out of that? Because you're obviously very vivacious and energetic (laughs) and on top of your game. And I know that takes work. It does. Yeah. Um, 
I have so many thoughts at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so many threads to to tug on there. Uh, yeah. It, it, so first, it's so interesting, you know, this this word weariness because so I'm part. Speaking of networking and and finding a, a tribe to help support you, I'm a part of this this women's networking group, organizational development uh, professionals, and they we meet monthly and and lately it's been over Zoom, of course. Um, and each month we start by saying, what's our word, you know, either for the day, for the month, what's our word. And back in February, my word was weary. I said, I am weary. And, you know, it was the culmination of, we were almost a year into the pandemic and shut down. February in Pennsylvania is in a normal year on the dreary side this year. Awful. It was gray and gloomy every day. And um, so I think that on top of just being in a really good but intense season with with my work. Um, so I was just, I think, feeling fatigued, um, you know, because even good stress is stress, right? And so right. all of that I felt so weary. And so it's such a powerful word, I think. And I love that that your dad chose that word because I think it's so true to say we're tired. Okay. What does that mean? You know, um, burnout, that's not really it either. And so I think weary is, is such a good word. And I'm happy to say that that's no longer my word for right now. Anyway, (laughs) I can tell. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So we can move on from that. That's that, but, um, it's long, the pendulum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's interesting too, in, in thinking about these concepts, there's, there's a lot of overlap because certainly if you're in a season of feeling overly lonely, you're more likely, I think, to feel very weary. If you're not, you know, so much of getting recharged does come from that interaction and network and support and connection. And so again, global pandemic was not helping any of that. So yeah, I I think one of the key things too, in, in thinking about the dynamic of weariness is again, normalizing that it, you will go through those seasons and, you know, you're going to have those setbacks inevitably, you know, uh, we're going to have those times where we're going to have those setbacks. We're going to have those temporary failures. And I say temporary because it's only true failure. If you if you're, you you give up, you become so weary that you give up. But those temporary failures, like those things are going to happen. And again, normalizing that you will feel those times of being weary, but um, it does take work to pull yourself out of it. And so both from this year when I was feeling very weary and, you know, going back to the, the dynamic that we talked about a moment ago, when I was the director for that center, there were absolutely times that I felt weary. I was leading this group through substantial change, not feeling like I had a, a somebody at my, my equal level close to it to help me guide through that change and feeling that loneliness. It was a lot. Um, it was amazing at times. I had a great team. Oh my goodness. Were they amazing? We had a lot of fun. It was awesome, but it was also really hard work. And so during that time, I did a lot of meditating, <laughs> a lot of meditating, a lot of time in nature, um, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in looking for those connections. And it was the same thing that that pulled me out of that season now. I mean, some of it was seasonal. This is the first time I've ever felt like seasonal affectiveness disorder was a real thing. You know, so some of it was just change, it was spring and renewal, but I did work hard at that sense of of balance and and i don't know bringing that that 
coming out of that weariness. And it wasn't until recently that that really clicked for me, that it is that work, that that doesn't happen by happenstance, you know, that it is being intentional about boundaries for your time, boundaries for your energy. Yes. Making time for yourself, getting in nature, moving, you know, all of that is so essential to help pull yourself out of that that season. And that was a really long answer. So I'm going to pause. <laughs> no, uh, listen, I'll tell you what, why I'm nodding is somebody, you know, my dad has another speech called the three therapies of life and mm. the three therapies are, and the only one you didn't hit on was music, but you oh, know, yeah. me, walking among me. nature. Okay. Cause he's like, that was his, he was, su- he was such a musician, but his other two were people and work you yeah. hit on them. So it's yeah. weird because people and work are the things that make you weary. They're also the things that are going to pull you out of your weariness. So I mean, I love that you hit on it that, and you hit on the thing, it's boundaries. If you're feeling tired, you probably are lax in your boundaries with people and with your work-life balance, which is really just every day, just it'll, it'll shift. Somebody said, there's no such thing. It's just every day it's shifting priorities. But I love that you said people go, I'm too tired to work. Well, then you're never going to get out of it because you just haven't dialed into the right work and the right people. And that takes work and that takes people. So I love that you, you found your way out of what you thought was it. It's not work and it's not people. It's finding the right work and the right people that replenish you and don't drain you. Yes. And that takes an awareness. It takes discipline. It takes boundaries. Yeah. And I love how you hit on all of them. I've not heard that that speech, but I agree with him completely. And yeah, and music is a big one for me too. Um, sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've been I've been a musician and a vocalist for well, there oh you have, yeah since fifth grade, um, which was you know more than a couple of years ago. So yeah, <laughs> just well, I love it. So for our yeah. leaders out there that want to quit, you can want to quit, but don't do it. Get right That's back right. in the game. And I I'm starting a course tonight on persistence. And I had a couple people. I was they were on the fence. They were waiting to sign up, and I knew because they felt overwhelmed and. By goodness, I just did a gentle prodding. They're like, I don't have time for this, but I'm going to do it. And I go, there you have it. You're going to come out of this yes. because Love. you saddled up and decided tenacity is more important than me, than being tired. And, yeah. you know, like you said, um, Kelly, there's good weary and there's bad weary. When mm-hmm. I go to bed sometimes at night, I, my, I, I tell people it's like war weary. You know, when I w- would go to war and you go to bed so tired, but you knew you did everything you can. That's good yeah. weary. And yes. when you dial in that versus the worry weary, where you're just like, oh, I feel, uh, you know, I'm depleted, then you get into that defeated. Yeah. So I love that you really, you, you conquered your weariness. And so yeah. recently too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where, again, it's recognizing that it's not, that it is these, these seasons of our lives, that it's not like, oh, I had that once six years ago, it's never going to happen again. No, it, it will. <laughs> you know? well, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's part of life. It's part of the experience. Of yeah. But being able to, to name it and recognize it and have the tools in your toolbox to say, okay, this is where I am and not judge it, you know, not to say, oh, I'm weary. You know, I, I must be doing something wrong or this is wrong or I'm a failure, but just say, okay, this is, you know, name it and, recognize these are the things that I know can help me pull me out of this. And it might take a week, might take a few weeks. That's okay. But I'm going to take those steps and I'm going to stick with it. And I love the word, you know, persistence. And it is, it's taking those steps to work your way back to a space of feeling rejuvenated and inspired and recharged. Um, Yeah. 
Perfect. All right. Loneliness, weariness. The next one is abandonment. And mm-hmm. abandonment typically has, you know, for those of us in the pet rescue business, that typically has a negative connotation. Right. But in the price of leadership, my father would always say, and I remember growing up, I'm like, oh, I just feel like I'm not getting traction. I'm spinning. I'm spinning. And he's like, you need to abandon what you like and want to think about in favor of what you ought and need to think about. So yeah. his definition of abandonment was hyper-focus, which for me, who has the gift of complication and is a little, uh, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out in the next part, this is a struggle for me. But can yeah. you talk about abandonment? Kelly, you've made some major transitions in your life and you don't mm-hmm. do that without laser focus. So can right. you share with me abandonment and some words for leaders out there that if they're feeling overwhelmed, they might need to dial some stuff in. Yeah, I definitely appreciate this this concept as well and this and this word. And you're right, we do often think of abandonment as this kind of negative thing, you know, feeling abandoned. But I I love that it's it is about it's kind of like if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so you have to abandon, you have to prune, you have to focus in, you know, for things to grow. And you think about that, if anybody's, you know, gardening or whatever, yeah, you, you have to prune in order to throw out, to grive, oh my gosh, grow and thrive. I'm making up new words. I like that, grime. <laughs> yeah, we have to, we have to prune, we have to have that focus. And it's so easy as an entrepreneur, as you know, if you are, if somebody is an executive and they are more of that visionary, they're the creative type. It's so easy to get that shiny object syndrome to just want to tackle the new thing because it's exciting. It's fun. I mean, for people who aren't wired that way, it's overwhelming. And so for them, it's probably easier to have that laser focus and to say, well, no, 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 we can't do that one yet. We've got to, you know, those are the really good project managers. Yes. Um, (laughs) I love it. Thank God Um, for them. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, you know, and that's a, it's a good point that when you are, thinking about the leadership for your aid, your agency, your organization, your company, if you are that visionary, like shiny object person to have somebody that can balance you out. And whether that is another ex- executive, somebody on your team, if it's that coach, that mentor, but somebody who can call you to task and say, okay, is this really going to further your purpose here? Or is this just a fun distraction? <laughs> and so I think that that is really essential to be, to have an honest reflection of how are you wired? Because then too, if you are only ever solely focused on what's right in front of you and you're not wired to think what's next, what's 10 years down the road, what's what, where, where do we get our energy for our new projects? If you can only really truly only focus on what's in front of you, then having somebody else that is that visionary to help you can be a benefit. You know, you don't want to be so any extreme for any of these things is not is not good. And so you don't want to be so focused on one thing that you're missing out on the other things as well. But so it's having that balance. You know, you don't want to prune down too far <laughs> that you've you've cut everything out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love yeah. that you that is wonderful advice for leaders out there. You know, one of my favorite books is Michael Gerber's E Myth Revisited. And mm-hmm. he's like that we're we're um the three-legged store as an entrepreneur. Yes. We're the yeah. visionary, the entrepreneur, we're the manager. So that's the more strategic. And then there were the technician, the tactical you want, this is one of the greatest things I wish somebody as a leader would have said to me, because I am a project, I'm an operations girl. So I project management. I'm like, I can solve any problem if you give me enough resources and time. 
anything right. at all. Okay. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But right. when you put on that C-suite or entrepreneur hat, having yeah. somebody as a second in command that can look at you and say, focus. Yes. That idea, you got to let the entrepreneur run with it because that's where they get their joy. But somebody right. told me, put it in a parking lot. Yes. So I have a second thing, great ideas to pursue after I get through. And I use the Ivy Lee method. Every yeah. night before the top six things I need to get done and I prioritize them. Otherwise, I spin like, and people look at me like, I have no idea. But so have somebody that can help you stay focused and look at you and say, really? Um, because there's such a thing as being flexible. And then there's some such a thing as being frenetic. Yes. And I think that's wonderful, wonderful insights, Kelly. Yeah. Well, and this is where, you know, we talked about this at the very beginning, that ability to, to have the hard conversations. It's also so essential as a leader be, to be willing to receive that feedback and have those hard conversations that way. I think so often we talk about having difficult conversations. It's, oh, so I'm the leader and I need to talk to somebody about poor performance, or I need to talk to somebody about something negative, but it's just as difficult to, to hear that feedback and to hear. And so making sure that you have not only that person, but you've cultivated that space and that relationship to have that open dialogue and that you're willing to hear it, that you're willing to be called out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's essential. Well, that's my favorite area study is the followership. Robert Kelly's yeah. critical thinking skills and all in engagement from everybody yeah. on your team. They have to, like you said, you cultivate that relationship where somebody yeah. feels free to go to you as a leader and say, I know this is what you're looking at, but if we do this, then that critical thinking skills, not critical spirit, not them telling you you're an idiot right. or you're, no. oh, I can't believe. I said, that's not, that's not good feedback. Okay. No. Well, leaders have feelings too. And we're, we don't know everything. So just like you expect me to treat you with respect, that leader, that is a, a two-way street. But I love that people say, because I think a lot of times people say, well, that's a boss. I can't approach them. No, 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 no. Especially in a small business where it's, yeah, maybe in a bureaucracy, but that's, that's a big, that's a big blobby thing. We're not, yeah. most of our leaders aren't there. You know, right. this is, yeah. this is free every day is a startup. So for us to get better, everybody gets a seat at the table. And that's why I love small businesses because having cutting my teeth for 20 years on huge bureaucratic bloated things, it's, you get to have a voice. So you, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I worked with a, a nonprofit organization for a while and the leader there, the director there was definitely a shiny object person. And <laughs> my dad was, it's, cra it was crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I can be, I think I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not so crazy, shiny object that I completely derail myself, but I, it is fun. You know, it is fun to think, <laughs> to think. but yeah, she was very, I mean, you'd be planning a fundraising event and even up to the week or two before, you know, oh, what about if we try this or what about if we try that? And so early on in working with, with the organization, working with her, um, I didn't realize at first that this was kind of her thing. And then as we developed a relationship, we were I'm like, okay, I see that this is, you know, she's just excited and she's just, you know, and so being able to have that conversation with her to say, I, I can see that this is really exciting and I can see that you want to make this the best event possible. Um, but we're in a place now where really these new ideas for this event are actually not helpful. <laughs> you know? and, and so, yes, put it in a parking lot. Think about that for next time. Yes. Um, it won't be the last fundraiser. Yeah. 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 Was she open to receive that? She was, but it was interesting though. This is again, where that, that relationship 
comes into play because she and I could have that type of conversation, but some people on her staff, they did not have that relationship. And so they, you know, either didn't maybe feel comfortable having that conversation or it wasn't received as well. And so that's why I think so much, I mean, obviously communication is key all around, but particularly with those types of conversations being, being able to, you know, yeah, have somebody who's going to call you out, but then also being willing to, to receive that information and think about how to process it is, is so important. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you hit on another one of my favorite leadership theories, LMX, Leader Member Exchange, where you alluded to the fact that you were in her in-group and right. the other people felt that they were in their out-group. My right. issue with that is, well, they'll tell everybody else. Yes. So if you, and that's where I'm like, guys, and that's where you need an evolved team that function more as co-leader. Why can't tell the boss that? But you're telling everybody else in the team that. So exactly. would you want your boss to talk to everybody else? So that's why I tell followers, you have, if you want a better leader, be a better follower. So help them. Because like I said, we're at the pointy end of the spear. And so we're sucking in like a vacuum. We're in networking events. People are calling us. People are trying to partner with us. and go, Help us. You know what I'm saying? Right. Help us hone our mission edge so we don't drift. And I right. love I love that you, and I, I find the older I get, that's the most important thing that I'm looking for in somebody, somebody that can help me stay on point and right. just have, the, have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that, you know, in, in your dad's speech that I really appreciated is not only... Does you know he talks about abandoning those things that <laughs> might be fine but aren't going to really serve us, and but also you know there are those those things that we really do need to uh, abandon. But then in the, some of the and he does, I don't know that he says this in there, but I'm thinking about you know as leaders you know the gossip and the you know uh, those types of conversations you need to abandon that to, to yes. be an effective leader. You know again we talked about the sense of failure. You know abandon that sense of. I'm going to accept this failure. No, keep persisting, keep moving on. But one of the other things that, that he talks about that I love is, you know, abandoning this, this negativity and having this attitude of gratitude and really focusing on that. And I, I, I love that so, so much. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that, that positive side of things, um, that positive side of abandonment is a, abandoning that negativity, having the attitude of gratitude and bringing that to each day. That is just so powerful. It is without thankfulness, mm-hmm. you will always want to walk away from your marriage, your job, because you're going to think it, the green grass syndrome, you know, you call it, the, what did you call it? Shiny, shiny, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> green grass syndrome is a variation of the shiny, shiny object. Uh, I'm going to, because I'm not thankful for what I have right now. Right. I don't, yeah. I, I, I count my, my lack of blessings rather than my blessings. And that right. will, um, you need to get rid of that because everything mm-hmm. you have, is right here in front of you. You just have to cultivate it. Right. And so I love that you brought, and he would say that too, the greatest thing you cannot, you cannot serve, you cannot be a leader, you cannot be anything, a follower without um, thankfulness is the number one thing. Yeah. Right. Because without that, you won't stay committed. And if you're right. not committed, you're going to walk away from everything that comes your way, even the good things. Right. Well, and and as you were saying that, it just made me think too, with the, the, the green grass, uh, they... Uh, perspective is also abandoning this need to always compare yourself. Yes. You know, always compare both personally, you know, as an individual comparing yourself and also what you're doing as an organization. It's it's one thing to look at other companies maybe for inspiration or other leaders for inspiration to say, "Oh, I really that philosophy or that customer service approach or that, 
business strategy, that seems really, that aligns so much with, with our philosophy or our values. There's, there's pieces of that we can pull from. Of course, you should always learn and grow. And, and if there's things from other people or books or resources that align with you, absolutely incorporate that. But there's a difference between that inspiration and this need to, to compare. Mm-hmm. And if you're constantly comparing, um, that is going to end up putting you into that mentality of lack. And so, yeah, abandoning that need to constantly compare yourself or your organization to somebody else, because you're on your own journey and, uh, you know, figure out your own values, figure out your own philosophy, figure out all of that. And yes, bring in things that align with that, but don't, but don't compare yourself because that's just going to drive you crazy. I want to aspire, but don't compete. You know, yes. that's yeah, not like yeah. last 1990s, you know? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, but, but yeah. I love it. And, th- and that helps people like me that have a little bit of a shiny object. I look around, not because I don't trust my team or myself, but I'm always like, you're a doctor too doctor. Right. So right. we're in, the, we're researchers at heart. And yes. we're always like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Just like this interview, I could write a whole nother book on the different right. things you have <laughs> like brought to my mind. It's in our right. nature to just be like, we're always, always be learning, you know? And so that's a good thing because otherwise I can't cut that off, but to bound my aspirational stuff into something focused, I think is, is what you're don't do that, but then absolutely don't, don't do it. Never pivot because of competition. Because that's, uh, that's not, you know, that's that scary. You never get anywhere. No, you, yeah, you never get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. And you're going to waste a lot of time, energy, and resources and yes, frustrate yeah. your team. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've done yeah. it many times. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so lastly, loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. And, you know, I grew up like you under a lot of great people. And I was like, oh, they're visionaries. I'm not, I'm just little Tracy, little Kelly. But my dad always said, vision is nothing more than just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And I'm like, now that I think I can do. So can you share with me what vision means to you, how you craft your vision and uh, what you would recommend for leaders that, because it's kind of an esoteric word and uh, can you put some, some flesh on it? So our leaders out there can be as visionary as you. Yeah. In an aspirational way, not in a competition. (laughs) Well, I don't know that, yeah, I don't know that uh, I would be the benchmark anyway, but. uh, Bless your heart. I love it. I love that humility. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is one of those words and concepts that can feel so enormous. And yeah, if people aren't where they would consider themselves visionary, it can feel so overwhelming and like, oh, that's not really for me. But I think of vision like a compass. You know, that it's, yeah, it's about having this, this direction and, and knowing where you want to go. So yeah, you don't have to be this grand visionary and think of the next greatest idea, you know, the next iPhone or the next, what like that, that's not what, what vision means. It means, yeah, knowing where you want to go. And, and you may, I also think of this too, like um, if anybody is, is a hiker, if they've ever, you know, like a lot of people, thousands of people set out every year to hike the Appalachian trail. And you can see if on a map, the whole length of the trail, people can know where they're going. If they start, you know, if they're northbound, they're starting in, in Georgia and they're going to go all the way to Maine. They, they, they have that vision. They have that plan. They know where they're going. You can see the big picture. Now the day to day, 
you, you don't know exactly how long it's going to take you to get there. You, and you're really, you have some maps that are going to help you along the way, but mostly you're just looking at the next blaze and the next blaze and the next blaze. So you're only really seeing so many steps ahead of you. And so I think of vision when it comes to both personally and leadership, it's helpful to think about it that way. Like you need to have that bigger plan. You need to know where ultimately do I want to go and have that goal in mind, but know that along the way, and you can have a general idea like, okay, I think it's going to take me about seven months to hike the entire Appalachian Trail or seven months to get to my goal. It might take a little less time. It might take a little more time. That's your your goal. And you're going to encounter obstacles along the way that you did not expect, (laughs) You you didn't plan for. And you just take it one day at a time. You hit each benchmark as it as it arrives and you deal with those obstacles that show up because you know your ultimate goal and your ultimate vision. And, and so being willing to keep that endpoint in mind, that vision of this is where I want our company to go. So is it serving X number of clients or reaching X number of people? Is it, you know, having, and it's not just about, okay, I want, we want to earn X number of dollars, like have that, that, that deeper purpose, that deeper why, what is it that you really want to accomplish and want to, to serve the world? Like what, what is that, that you're, you're, you're seeking to do and always having that goal. But again, knowing that along the way, there's going to be twists and turns and you're going to have to be flexible and you're going to have to go with it. And you're going to have to problem solve. But if you have that very clear, distinct, and game in mind that that's going to help keep you through those times of loneliness and weariness. <laughs> um, and you'll have to abandon some of the, the side trails and some of the side projects and, you know, to stay laser focused and to keep that, to keep that vision. So I know that's still kind of an abstract answer, but your, your compass thing. And, and I love that because it's your compass. It's not mm-hmm. where you think you should be. And especially for somebody that's like a second generation business with like me, well, what would my dad do? Or what do people think I should right. be? No. And it's only after 20 12 years of really going through this, I now know exactly what I'm bringing forward to his, but where I'm going with it. So right. it takes time, but that I love, that was a very great tactic. It's your compass. Where do you want to go? Right. And I, I think when you dial that in, I think uh, 99% of people listening are sick of exchanging time for money. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we, 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 again, tie it to these purpose words and, oh, Lord, here we get in this big, oh, what is my purpose? I don't know. But I love the compass because it's very some, what, what's the end thing? What do you want to go after? And that's right. a beautiful way to just put right. it into something a lot more tactical. Yeah. Well, and one of the ways too, that when I work with, with leaders and, and teams, particularly though with the, the leaders, one of the ways that we think about this, this vision and how are we going to, to execute the work that we're doing? I talk to them a lot about doing a leadership philosophy, both for the organization. So, you know, so many companies have customer service philosophies, but they don't have a leadership philosophy. So they have this standard expectation for how customers should be treated, even though each employee is going to bring their own unique personality and perspective. And so you're not, everybody's not going to handle every call exactly the same, but you have an expectation for the standard, the quality of that, that call or that transaction or whatever is happening with your customer service philosophy. But so few agencies have a leadership philosophy. And so an employee's experience is really dependent upon supervisor they happen to have. 
you know, if you get assigned to Jimmy, you have a great experience because, you know, he's, he's focused, he's engaged. He's, you know, he's really working with you. But if you get assigned to, you know, so you've got Jimmy over here, Johnny over here. Oh, well, he's a micromanager and he's this and he's that, and you have a negative experience. So, and when I go through this leadership philosophy exercise, I actually have a compass <laughs> graphic because again, it's not only is vision your compass, but your leadership philosophy should also be your compass. It should be your guide and how you're, you know, what are your core values as a leadership team and as a company? How are you going to inspire your people to, to go through these hard seasons? How are you going to stay inspired yourself? Like we talked about, it takes work mm-hmm. to, to feel inspired and motivated and how are you going to respond to, to difficult situations? How are you going to respond when problems arise? And, you know, just making sure too, that you have a way to address, like, what are your non-negotiables? What aren't you going to accept? What are those things that just clearly aren't either behaviors or other situations that you're just not going to accept? accept? And so I think having that philosophy, having that compass, having that those set of guiding principles is another way to think about vision. It's not vision in the typical sense of like, okay, our end goal is to serve 1,000 families in this capacity. That's important. And I think having that type of vision is important, but also having the, the compass of this is our leadership philosophy. This is how we're going to operate while we navigate through to get to that vision, I think can be really powerful. Well, and it really ensures that you you draw in the right team. This yes. can resonate with your leadership philosophy. And then, because like not everybody's going to get my leadership style and right. I'm not going to get every follower's style. You know, there's certain people that I'm like, you know, I can remember my dad saying, uh, thank God I'm not a pastor because if there were as a, ever was a sex scandal, there'd be murder. In other words, <laughs> he is not very pastoral. He's very right. much how could you be so stupid? That's a leadership right, right, style. That right. resonates with a lot of people. There's right. going to be some people that are like, no. So I love that philosophy because then you really get to dial in because right from the get-go, this is my expectation and this is I'm delivering to you. And this is, this is what I expect back. So I love that, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. So we talked loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. Anything else? Because we have we have unpacked a ton of tremendous stuff here. Yeah. Anything else you want to share with with the group uh, while you've got this wonderful audience listening? Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I think you know, we've used this word throughout this conversation, but I think it's worth just reiterating. And this is such a, a big word for me these days. So the idea of connection. You know, not only we talked about with loneliness and and help connection helping you come out of that season of weariness but also in thinking about vision and the importance of vision. So in connection for me, when I work with leaders and teams, helping team members feel connected to that vision. So it's not just enough to have a vision. (laughs) You need to really effectively communicate that to your team and help them see. I mean, you as an individual should see day to day how what you're doing connects to that vision is helping move it along further. And again, as we talked about being very focused if you take a look at your day and every day, the bulk of your work is not contributing to that vision, is not moving you forward in that vision, you need to really take stock of how you're spending your time because otherwise you're going to get very weary and burn out. And so really making sure that what you're doing is helping move to that vision, but help your team see, and even if it's the most mundane tasks, and sometimes those are the ones we really need to see the most, like how is what I'm doing really contributing to that vision, to that 
to the mission of the organization. So helping them really feel connected to that, that's huge. There's just a ton of research that you know shows how important that is for people to, to feel that connection. And being connected as a leader to your team. And obviously, yes, there is there's some measure of separation there by by some necessity, but you should still be connected. There, there needs to be that conversation, that dialogue, and help them feel connected with one another. Just like we talked about that we as leaders need to have those peers, even if they're outside of our organization, help them feel connected to one another, to their peers, help them to feel like a team and that, that is all working together towards that common vision. Um, that's just such a, an essential, essential piece to helping everybody feel motivated, helping them all feel like what they do matters, that their talents are being utilized, that they're contributing to that bigger, bigger picture. And, and that takes work. Again, it, it, all, it all takes work. You can't take that for granted. That, And I think it's very easy, and there's research actually that shows this, that leaders, and that's you know business owners, executives, because we're so close to that vision, we're so close to the 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 mission of the organization. We feel like everybody is, but not everybody gets it. Not everybody feels that, right. and so you really have to be intentional about helping them see that and feel that. And that goes a really, really long way. Well, that all in that you talked about, you know, Robert Kelly, like I said, the two things to draw the team together to, to achieve the world is critical mm-hmm. thinking, it able yeah. to talk, hey, boss, and all in engagement. So yeah. they can't just know about your mission. They've got to be all in. And I love you talked about, yeah, we're at different levels, even the military. You're an officer, you're enlisted, no fraternization. But yet when it came to the mission, we would take mm-hmm. a bullet for one another. So mm-hmm. you need to get, you still can stay missionally connected. You have yes. these levels because, you know, the, you know, you got to make sure there, there's the, the layers. But, but that's a very important point, Kelly. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love. Well, listen. You talked a lot about your work. How do people get in touch with you? Possibly look at working with you. Find out more about you. Uh, we'll put all Kelly's uh, links and everything in the show notes below. But what's the best way to get in touch with you, Kelly? Yeah, thank you. So on all things social, so you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the things social. It's um, at Dr. Kelly Waltman, Dr. Kelly Waltman. Two different ways to to connect with me on the web. So one is slrleadership.com. And then if people are interested in pre-ordering my book and getting some some content to go along with that, the book is scheduled to be published October 1st. It's Elevate Connection. Again, that's a big word for me these days, connection. They can go to drkellywaltman.com and they can find a a link to pre-order the book there and get some, some content and also just find a way to connect with me. Awesome. And your LinkedIn too, is that your, are you under Kelly Waltman and Dr. Kelly Waltman on LinkedIn? You got it. Yeah, yep. It's such a powerful connecting platform, that LinkedIn. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's amazing. Very much so. Okay. Well, Kelly, I can't thank you enough for your words of inspiration. I know you have really impacted me as a leader, hearing your words. You gave me some great ideas. And I know our listeners out there really got a lot of great tools and insights and words of affirmation from you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. This was really a treat and, and an honor. And I'm just, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I'm taking some things away too. I love that every time I, I have a conversation like this, I, I learn something new. So thank you so much. It's so awesome. It. It's like going to school. I mean, I'm like, I can pick the brains of the greatest leaders and take it in. So you just, just wonderful, Kelly. So thank you again to our listeners out there. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button, like, share, leave us a comment, leave us a review. 
go get Kelly's book, connect with her as well, and share the Tremendous Leadership Podcast with other leaders out there who need to understand what it takes to pay the price of leadership. Thank you so much, everybody, for being part of our Tremendous Tribe. Keep on paying that price of leadership. And remember, we are right here to support you. Thank you so much. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.